Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, we are just rolling and rocking and rocking and rolling with the Seminole softball team. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And uh, you're exactly right. Uh, I, I hearken back to 2018 when Kathy and I uh, set up for both of the wins uh, that led to the uh, College World Series title. And obviously, we've already done two nights. And, and tonight, uh, as soon as we get through, uh, we'll tune back in and watch it three in a row, and hopefully we don't have to do four. Hopefully they'll wrap it up tonight. Exactly right. We will focus on softball. We're going to talk with the GOAT a little bit later on. That would be Jesse Warren, who, well, I don't have to tell you who she is. If you're listening to this show, you know who Jesse Warren is. She was at the World Series over the weekend, and she will join us, and we'll talk some seminal softball. Also, Keith, we, we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, but more media reports surfacing yesterday that the college football playoff may expand right from four, past six, past eight, past 10, all the way to 12, so we can discuss that. And I suppose we probably need to wrap up the FSU baseball season, which even though we'd love it if they were still playing, I guess we might as well go there now, Keith. The reality is it was a flawed team all year. It was home run or strikeout, and you never knew what you were going to get, although the odds were more favorable for strikeout. And that's what we saw a lot of too much this past weekend. Probably could give them a real good grade for starting pitching. And early in the season, uh, out of the bullpen pitching was okay, but then it faltered. Uh, so, yeah, there, there were some uh, ugly um, uh, warts, bruises uh, that uh, showed themselves uh, once they got into play. But, again, I go back to some of the other things we talked about. Um, I think that uh, if you'd had the opportunity to play some more games midweek, i.e. non-conference games, and, um, you know, just the season as a whole, although it wasn't the shortened season the last year was, I'll just be happy to get back to normal things, uh, including player management and those kids that came in for a fifth or sixth year, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. couple points, and we'll put baseball to bed. I mentioned this to you earlier this week, all season long, the common refrain was this is this pitching staff is, I don't think people use the term head and shoulders, but it was implied that this is better pitching staff than what Florida State's had. And I think really what it is or was, was a staff that had more guys that threw harder than what Florida State has normally had, certainly in the 11 era, because you had a bunch of guys that are going to touch mid nineties. But at the end of the day, as we look back, 
even at this past regional and Sunday, you know, when Grady comes out, it's a four, four game and the bullpen can't hold the lead the previous day. I know the error is, is really the reason they lost uh, by DeSantis, but the two runners that scored had walked. And so I guess I would make the point that yes, there were more harder throwing arms, but I'm not sure there were more reliable arms to get the outs you needed than what we've seen in previous years. Agree or disagree? Would agree. And I think it's natural for a fan and the fan base because we've lamented for the last decade to 15 years that we haven't had guys that could throw in the 90s. So you go out and get them, and that gets demonstrated. And I think the natural inclination is to automatically assume that they will be better. And they were better. It's just that I think our expectation was was a little extreme. <clears throat> and then, again, referencing the com- conversation you and I had on Monday, um, you know, you put that with a defense that, that didn't measure up. And so even if you're getting some ground balls or some hard hit balls, you know, one or two a game are going to get by you, get through you. You're going to, you're just going to boot them. And you put all of that together and that, that leads to an early exit from the regional is the way I look at it. The defense has not been great for a number of years, Keith, really, you could go back 20 years or so. And, and I don't know how Florida state fixes that because there are teams, when you look at the nation's leaders that field consistently at, uh, you know, the, the top team in the country is going to be at somewhere between nine seventy eight, nine eighty two, or nine eighty three, And Florida state consistently is 10 points below that. And they're more in the nine sixty eight to nine seventy range. And on the one hand, if you sneak into the nine seventies, you can live with it, but, but FSU has got to get better defensively. I'll I'll wrap it up with this, though. I I saw some folks complaining about not winning 40 games. And we talked about this week one of the season, Keith. The way the schedule was, Florida State was not going to win 40 games this year. That streak was going away. It was impossible. It was certainly improbable and nearly impossible, if not for the fact that they had done it, to have a streak of 40 win seasons for that long. And at the end of the day, every Noel who's listening to this would trade a streak of 40 win seasons for a national title. So that one was going to go away. I'm not giving Mike Martin Jr. a pass for that per se, but I really think the measuring stick needs to be the postseason. And they did extend that streak and he's not going to be happy that they went one and two in regionals. And I'm confident that, that Florida state will see better results in future years. But another part of college baseball that we have to admit has changed is that there is more parity. The sec schools have a lot of money now, and this is not what baseball was in the nineties even before when you only had eight regionals instead of 16 and you were all but guaranteed to get to Omaha if you hosted a regional because there's a lot more in the have bucket now than used to be is what I'm saying. So all that said, I I, I am very confident that this uh, coaching staff and meet will will get Florida state uh, to continue to have postseason success uh, as we move forward. The other part of it, and, and this is not intended to be a criticism, though it may come out as, as one, but you've also got uh, within your coaching staff, you've got some guys that are real traditionalists. And, you know, anytime you change the way things have been for 20 or 25 years, i.e. the shortened season last year, the differing season this year, us traditional folks, that's another little spur uh, in our saddle that, that doesn't set well with us. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm not saying they're not creative, not saying they're not cutting edge in terms of uh, training and, and how they do things, but just the thought process. So I, again, 
repeating myself. I'll be glad to get back to what, what is considered the normal uh, and see how they respond and how they act. I think the biggest surprise, and, and maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise because Meat told us that this team was going to strike out a lot, and I'd need to have a conversation with him to, to learn a little bit more about why, because he's been the hitting coach, and so there, there shouldn't have been a change there in what the hitters were asked to do. And, and I wonder if the answer isn't that hitting is all about ABs. It's about repetition. And if you talk to Meat, I, I don't remember the number, but you've got to have thousands of at-bats before that you really feel like you're honed in and, and you missed last season and then you had a crazy off season because of COVID you didn't play fall ball. And I wonder if he would point and say, that's a reason why we just weren't as disciplined as what we needed to be. Now, obviously some of it is going to relate to talent and skill and ability of the hitters. Uh, but that might be part of the reason for it. And, and really what I'm saying is, you know, now you're back to the more normal, you're going to play summer ball. You're going to play fall ball. You're going to get in the box and hopefully some of that cleans up. I think that's a very astute point. And again, it kind of dovetails into my um, traditionalist thought process. Anytime you're doing it differently, uh, you don't know uh, the after effects or the, uh, the buzzword we like to use or phrase, the unintended consequences. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be very, very happy to get back to the status. Switching gears, not to have the same conversation again, Keith, but now that more media outlets are suggesting we might go to a 12 team playoff, have you, given it any more thought or let that resonate a little bit more? Well, you know, I was a proponent, you and I both, I think, uh, obviously of expansion A, and then B, I just thought the natural progression would be to eight, where you would have uh, the five automatic bids, uh, give one to the, to the next level, and then two at large. But if you've read any of the commentary, and right now it's just commentary, people expressing their opinions, <clears throat> I understand and it makes sense that you would maybe go past eight so that you could reward those at-large teams. Because if you've got the automatic bids and the Pac-12 is, you know, having a normal year, so their winner is ranked 18th in the country, and then you have the number six and the number eight and the number nine teams out of either the SEC, ACC, or whatever that are not conference champs, but they're ranked substantially higher than the Pac-12 champion, and forgive me, Pac-12 fans, I'm picking on you, could be the ACC. But it seems to make sense. I just didn't think they would go that far. I'm all in favor of greater. Don't want to go to 64. I think that's ridiculous. But going from 8 to 12, I can get on board with that. How about you? Yeah, I've been a proponent of the expansion. Now, that it does move the conversation. Uh, it, you know, the conversation is the same. You're just further down the line. There'll still be the argument about the third SEC school that's getting in over the second ACC school or whatever else. But at least if you've won your conference championship, you know that you're in. And to me, that's that's significant because I really don't like the system now where in theory we haven't landed here. But in theory, you could choose four SEC teams or two SEC and two Big Ten and just ignore other conference champions. Um, you know, there's been a, what they have right now. They're they're leaking this. It's a trial balloon, Keith, to see what the what the feedback is on it. You know, to see if this is a good idea to move it forward, uh, because it creates conversation like this. One of the points is that you're looking at 16 or 17 games for everybody, not everybody, for the schools that are in the final game, and that's an awful lot of football. I, I'm going to go back to what I said, and nobody's talking about this yet. The games against the FCS schools that are the 58 to 10 games on Saturdays in the fall, 
just make them your spring opponent. You can still pay them their 400 grand. It doesn't have to be a game. It can be drills. So you're still funding the lower level schools, athletic budgets. And then you remove a week from the fall that frankly, look at FSU. If you've got a seven game home schedule, which game are people going to miss? They're going to miss the game against that opponent. So it's not like you're selling the place out anyway. To me, that would be a way to get past the 17, you know, reduce the games, create another bye week, still fund the lower level schools. I think all that is the uh, minutia that you work out in the details. Uh, I think the fact that in the big picture at the 30,000 foot level, it appears that the conversation is ongoing uh, is the biggest positive to me. We can work out the details once there's agreement that we need to move forward. Yeah. And, and TV will drive a lot of those details too. That's another thing when they move forward on this, and I do agree with this and a lot of national media are on this too. They can't let the, the Rose bowl and the parade dictate the playoff schedule. We can't have the playoff games moving from December 28th to 29th. And every third year they're on the first, when you, when you get to the semifinals, they need to be on the first and we need to know that's where they are. And, and some years, maybe the Rose Bowl's not kicking at the time that it wants to kick where the, between the third and fourth quarter, you got the beautiful sunset. That's just the way it's going to have to be. I agree. Uh, and that'll be a change. And there will be those that don't like it, but uh, I do agree. Man, that's a, that's an interesting concept. We both agree. All right. Well, we're going to talk softball later on. The goat will join us. As I mentioned, uh, Jesse Warren, and we'll talk FSU softball. We'll dive into FSU football with our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham, coming up. I'll remind you, the golf club at Summerbrook is open for business. It's packed out there, 894-4653. Give it a call. Uh, schedule a tee time. They've got uh, a lighted driving range if you want to get out there and uh, hone your craft, uh, so to speak, including Friday night lights, which usually means some live music, happy hour, all that stuff. Golf club at Summerbrook, 894-4653. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We're just getting started. We'll come back, turn our attention to FSU football right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you, and we open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider this week. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Hey, guys, doing great. Well, how about y'all? Doing great. Uh, you know, college football is open for business. The calendar hit June, and I'm not sure if Mike Norvell has slept since we got the June 1st. And since he, since he opened the doors and said, hey, the more centers open, he's been on the go. It's impressive what he and his staff are doing. Oh, it's uh, incredibly impressive. Obviously busy with camps, official visits, unofficial visits. And it's funny that you mentioned the sleep thing. I was talking to uh, Sabbath Joseph, the defensive analyst from uh, Miami that played at USF years ago, and asking Sabbath, when's the last time he slept? He said probably five or six days ago. And it doesn't look like he's going to sleep till July right now. So uh, they, are, they are working hard and making up for lost time. There's no doubt about that. Is the it heck with all that, Tommy? The heck with all that, Pat? I want to know if you've had a ride in the slingshot yet. I have not, but I did talk to Coach Norvell today while he was getting in the slingshot. 
I was hoping he'd offer me a ride, but I think he was headed over to the seven on seven camp to watch the skill guys. But uh, it's it's a sweet looking vehicle. I give him that. <laughs> so so you mentioned the camp. We should point out that uh, you actually uh, you're sort of live on the scene, if you will, live to tape to use old terms as we're recording this. But FSU's got a big man camp going on. I can't keep track of all the different camps. I mean, we got an elite camp. We got a mega camp. I can envision what I think a big man camp is. So why don't you fill in some blanks there? (laughs) It is exactly what you imagine. It's a bunch of uh, big guys, offensive and defensive linemen, defensive ends, uh, working on skill. Now, the one thing that makes this camp unique is that it is a padded camp. They're wearing shells or shoulder pads or helmets, which will help these coaches make better evaluations because it is really hard to make a – appropriate evaluation on a kid when he's in shorts and cleats, especially on the offensive line. Uh, but yeah, uh, they've had uh, almost 3000 kids on campus since Sunday, Saturday. Uh, it's just very impressive what they're doing. And, uh, but this camp will give these uh, offensive and defensive line coaches uh, a lot better chance to evaluate these kids, particularly having not gotten a chance to go out on the road in May when there was still dead period. And then across the way at the rec center, you got about 24 teams in a seven on seven camp. So they've got another 400 kids over there today. So, uh, yeah, and all the, the coaches are hopping back and forth. What's the, what's the, what's the age? One, one second, Keith, what's the age right. group on the, like on the big man on the seven on seven, is this all high school kids? It's not just yeah. the first class, right? So what's the, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's going to be 25. It's going to be 22 through 25 kids. So you got ninth entering kids, entering ninth grade through kids entering 12th grade for the most part, you might have a couple of eighth graders that are at small schools that are playing varsity, but for the most, uh, mostly it's the four years of high school kids. Okay. Uh, sorry, Tom, Pat, the thing that's interesting, you're coming at it because you're, that's your focus from a recruiting standpoint. But one of the things I think our listeners don't get a good grasp on is many of these kids, though they're coming from good programs, you know, they don't have the same technical skills or the technical instruction. And they get that in these camps. So even kids that may not project as Division I players can get better by coming to these camps. They're not just about FSU recruiting. No, I mean, they're, you know, th- this is, uh, these coaches are trying to help these high schools make these kids as good as they can be. I mean, give them a little bit more tailored instruction, uh, help them in their development. But certainly, yes, with uh, 300 offensive and defensive linemen, uh, like at most any camp, uh, most of these kids will only play in high school. Most of them are not going to transition to the college football. Uh, but yeah, so certainly, uh, you know, it's something that, colleges have been doing for years and years but they are certainly trying to help these kids improve fundamentals improve technically regardless of whether they're prospects or not so let's go backwards a little bit and before we get to the mega camp pat there was an elite camp that was sort of off the radar i guess that unfolded on saturday night and we're talking about a big man camp today but apparently there were a few pretty good big men at the elite camp what can you tell us about that and and how florida state might benefit from it well, you know, uh, again, going back, you know, this is the first time these guys or these coaches are seeing these prospects in person, uh, you know, just looking at them on the hoof, number one, and then obviously getting the chance to get them out on the grass and watch them move around and uh, see how explosive they are. But they, uh, you know, uh, we paid more attention to the offensive line at the elite camp than we did any other position. Uh, but, you know, Lou Ba from IMG was there. 
uh, who is committed, will be on his official visit this weekend, actually, to FSU. Uh, one of three guys that will be on campus this weekend for an official, which uh, is new to a lot. You know, these summer visits are turning into the newest thing. Uh, and then you had Quayshawn Sapp, Tyler Jeffries, who's a 2023 kid. And then you have uh, Kanaya Charlton, who was here for the elite camp and is actually back here today. So I'm looking forward to seeing him and Paz today. But uh, certainly just gave them a chance to, uh, I guess, solidify their opinions of these guys as prospects. Obviously, they like what they saw off tape off these elite guys. Uh, you know, every college tries to have an elite camp. Uh, they try to keep it quiet. It's hard to do. Uh, sometimes, you, you know, we try to have a Saturday Night Lights type thing at USF. and uh, But, you know, they did a great job of, you know, making this as elite as possible uh, with, a, you know, a limited number of kids that they really wanted to spend some time with and spend some time working drills with. So uh, uh, that was big for them. And, uh, you know, obviously that was uh, coming off the hills of the midnight madness. So uh, a lot of those kids came in to be here right when the clock struck 1201 on that last Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, but it certainly gave them a chance to reaffirm what they thought about these kids uh, as potential football players. Do we think there'll be obviously the, the the commitments are the commitments, but do we think that there'll be a, a period going forward, like in early July or the second week of July, which you know is almost as big as you know the the the, the May evaluation? I mean, how how might all that work out once everything's said and done? Well, I, you know, you got a lot of kids, particularly for FSU, they're having a big official visit weekend on June twenty for the weekend of June twenty fifth. Uh, I think you'll see, a, and I think that's, you know, there are a lot, there. I think there's a higher percentage of kids taking summer officials than there ever has been. Uh, some of that's due to the early signing date. Some of that's due to kids and parents and coaches are ready to, you know, see prospects and uh, the prospects are ready to see the coaches. Uh, so I think you'll see a uptick in commitments, not only at Florida State, but certainly around the nation after this June 25th weekend. And you'll have kids that will take officials in July. But, yes, I think we'll see more commitments in July of this summer than we've ever seen in the past during the summer. Okay, Pat, let's go to the mega camp because if you don't dive deep into recruiting and you're a more casual fan, you may – and you've just heard bits and pieces. First of all, there's the logistical end of it. How in the world do you effectively and efficiently run a camp that's got 2,500 kids participating? But then – why do you invite coaches from Arizona state and all these other schools to your campus to look at the same prospects you might be recruiting, or maybe they're not the same prospects. So kind of paint a big picture on, on maybe some of the key objectives of holding a camp like a mega camp. Well, I mean, obviously if you're going to get more, you're going to get more kids come in if they know they got more opportunities to be seen. Right. So you had coaches from division two, uh, all the way up to Florida State coaches. I mean, so you had small colleges, you had medium-sized colleges, you had uh, Conference USA, AAC schools, and you had Big 12 and Pac-12 and Big 10 schools here. So, uh, you know, I think what it did was it helped probably get more kids on campus because they knew they could be seen here uh, by a multitude of coaches where if you go just to uh, an FSU camp, which they'll have just a straight-up individual skills camp for Florida State later in the summer – but you, you only get a limited number of eyes on you, right? Uh, so, and also from Florida State standpoint, if you're going to try to have this mega camp, you need to help coaching these kids. Uh, so you need the resources to be able to work this camp effectively. And these coaches are coming to Florida anyway. You're you're to recruit. 
uh, during the season, during May's evaluation period, and you're going to compete against them either way. Uh, so I, you know, I don't, it, I think it helps build relationships. Uh, you know, these coaches, even, you know, these coaches talk about recruits when they're having personal conversations, you know, my brother will talk to when he was at US, UCF, he and Kevin Patrick at FAU would talk all the time about the same kids they were recruiting. So, uh, but yes, it certainly helps run the camp, but it certainly helped bring campers in. And then of course, you know, it gives a, a coach like Mike Norvell a chance to build relationships with other coaches, uh, young assistant coaches that are up and coming and, uh, you know, that may eventually come to Florida State at some point in their career or work with Mike at some point in their career. Is this a one-time deal, one-year deal, or do you think it might repeat itself next time? Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt it's going to repeat itself. It's, this was a huge success. Uh, they've got, they've already had, they've got uh, probably have offered 20 kids approximately and it may be more than that uh out of this camp identified some young prospects from 2024 even 2025 they offered a quarterback out of jacksonville trinity christian who really caught my eye and i was surprised when i found out he was a freshman but yeah so they they were able to identify prospects and then of course uh you know on twitter you see these kids that are getting offers from the Minnesotas and the Kansas states of the world that were also here. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of neat to see. I've never seen a mega camp and having run camps in South Florida for five of the seven years I was there, I had a little bit of anxiety thinking uh, the night before uh, thinking about whoever was running camp and how hard a job that was. But I'm going to tell you what, uh, I was blown away by the organization and efficiency uh, that they ran this camp with on Sunday. And I think it gives you some, you know, we've only had a chance to see coach Norvell and his staff 10 times in a year and a half that they've been here three spring practices last spring, seven this spring. So you want, you know, you want to see if you want, you want to verify that what you're seeing on the in spring practice is right. And I think that how you run a camp is reflective of how you run your program. And I was absolutely blown away with the, uh, it was, timely that you know they didn't run behind very much uh they had a great setup bringing in uh skill players uh running backs i'm sorry receivers quarterbacks and dbs for an hour and a half rotate those guys out uh then they brought in the offensive and defensive linemen defensive end linebackers let them work out and did that twice and so uh it was highly organized it was good to see and obviously uh you certainly fsu is winning the month of june Pat, one aspect you haven't touched on, and I'm curious because since Mike Norvell has gotten here and it's been magnified by the fact that the world was shut down and he couldn't get his staff on the road, but it's been pointed out time and again that his staff didn't have Florida ties, didn't have South Florida ties. Now, some of the the guys behind the scenes now, that's changed a little bit. But my real question is, what was the value of this mega camp as it relates to developing or continuing to foster relationships with high school coaching staffs around the state of Florida? Oh, I, I think it was uh, very important. Uh, and one of the reasons I think you have the camp, uh, in addition to the fact that you're getting a lot of prospects on cam uh, campus, you're getting coaches from out the state of throughout the state of Florida, South Georgia. I mean, you had kids in here from California that came with their high school coaches. Uh, you had, you know, Kansas, they offered a quarterback from Kansas, 2023 kid. But to be able, for Mike Norvell to be able to go talk to Kyler Hall or Jared Hickman from Florida high or, uh, you know, any of the coaches that were there and there were a host of them. I mean, you had a lot of coaches from Miami here, uh, Sebring, uh, LeVar Scott for, for these coaches that get a chance to spend some extended time, uh, with the Florida state coaches that spend some extended time with these high school coaches, 
uh, kind of helps make up for the time they have not been able to spend with uh, spend with them. And one of the things I like that Coach Norvell did was they rented out township where the coaches could go and cool off between their version of camp. So uh, when the offensive and defensive line, when Odell and Alex were not on, Alex Atkins were not on the field, they could go over in township and talk with the high school coaches and, you know, start to build that relationship or re-solidify those relationships uh, in a personal way, in an intimate setting. And uh, so, and, you know, so all the coaches, high school and colleges, uh, college coaches were able to go over there and, you know, have a place where they could kind of break bread and get to know each other a little bit. I didn't forewarn you about this question, but uh, I haven't heard anything about coaches clinics. Are those still, viable things and are they scheduled at Florida State for later on I don't know that they'll have one this summer particularly you know you're in you're already into your camp season uh you know and typically the coaches clinics are typically fall in line with spring practice obviously that we were still under COVID protocols during spring this year I would think that they might have some impromptu. We saw them do some Zoom coaches clinics last summer. Uh, Dillingham did one. I know Alex Atkins did one. Uh, so I think you'll see some things like that. And I think you'll see uh, some staffs come over and visit with the, you know, maybe not uh, an organized coaches clinic, but certainly if the Lincoln high coaches or the gotta be high coaches or, for, you know, anywhere want to come over and visit with the staff, I think the staff will be open to that. But as far as a organized coaches clinic, I don't know that they're not going to have one, but typically that happens in the spring. Understood. Understood. So, so Pat, what's, what, what's the curveball that Coach Norvell is going to throw next? So we had, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere, hey, let's do youth clinics around the state in the month of May. And then, hey, let's be the only school that's really running a March, uh, a midnight madness starting on June 1st. Let's, let's do a mega camp. Let's pull out the slingshot car that nobody knew existed. I mean, are we going to get to Fourth of July and 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 something crazy is going to happen here? And all these top recruits are going to uh, be down. What's uh, next? <laughs> who knows? He may have some kind of fireworks celebration at Dope Campbell on the fourth. But no, listen, this guy is must have some kind of battery pack hooked up to him because he is like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, this staff has not stopped. Uh, you know. Uh, just the energy that they are going after rebuilding this program with is uh, fun to see. Uh, it gets you fired up to watch. And, uh, you know, I, I continue, as I've said, probably since we started talking about this staff, continue to be impressed with what they're doing to uh, get this program back to where it needs to be. So, Pat, this is what should I call it? Optimism season, wishful thinking season. I mean, when you're in the off season, everybody's, everything is always shiny and gold, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. We know that, you know, at some point why well, the season will be played and, and some of these kids are going to base their decision, maybe not entirely, but they're going to be more interested in FSU if they're seeing on-field success compared to seeing hiccups. So I guess what I'm really driving at for, for all of this hype, and I know the classes for this year has been, you know, in the top 10, what's a reasonable expectation of where this will land when we get to the early signing period, you know, and, and this well, class yeah. is delivered? Yeah, I think what I think what probably some of these kids want to see is progress in the right direction, uh, you know, win more games. Uh, you know, winning seems to cure everything in recruiting. Uh, you know, you can – you're right. You can do all these special events, but at the end of the day – if it doesn't prove itself out on the field, it really doesn't mean anything. Uh, I think what these some of these kids are going to want to see 
or is the, the program is headed in the right direction, that there is consistent improvement week in and week out. And the more games you win, the easier it is going to, to recruit. And that's just the way it is across college football because uh, kids want to go where they can be successful, not only individually, but also in a team setting and where they can go play in big uh, bowl games and even, you know, hopefully the college football playoff. But, yeah, w- winning certainly is your best recruiting tool. He is Pat Burnham, our Osceola insider. Keith, uh, since I have to read Twitter to you since you don't participate, Pat was a little intimidated when I mentioned that we were going to have the GOAT, Jesse Warren, on the show coming up. But I, I did inform him that it, that anytime Pat's on the show, it truly is a Legends week. So uh, don't feel slighted here, Pat, just because we've got Jesse coming up next. Well, hey, and I'm glad you mentioned it. How about that softball team, man? I mean, wh- how much fun are they to watch? Uh, and, you know, they're, they got – they're scrappy. I mean, I woke up this morning, could not, I cannot wait till seven o'clock tonight. That's where we are. We're all in the same thing. And it, what's crazy is I remember this being exactly the same way three years ago when it was must see TV every night. It's almost more fun that they're coming out of the loser's bracket because you're a little more on edge and they play every night, you know, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun to watch for sure. Yeah. The only thing I don't like is uh, I hope we don't have to go to a game three. I hope we wrap it up tonight, but I don't understand why they would put game three at three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, we're going to seal this deal. We're going to seal this deal tonight. But Yeah, I hear you. Well, the same person made that decision that decided it was a good idea to start a game after midnight on Saturday night, <laughs> make a play till three in the morning, Pat. The ratings, oh, you got to love NCAA. Yeah, the ratings are actually really, really strong. And so it, it's just going to make more of a case that they got to keep it in prime time. All right, Pat, we'll let, we'll let you get back to the big man camp and uh, we'll check in with you down the road. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pat. Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. More Front Row Knowles coming right up as we talk softball momentarily. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Pat Burnham from the Osceola for joining us. We'll keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. And say hello to the FSU softball goat, Jesse Warren, who's kind enough to spend a few minutes with us. And Jesse, I, I know what you've been doing every night around seven or eight o'clock. I'm pretty sure I can predict what you've been watching. <laughs> but but how are you, first of all? I'm doing great. But yeah, I've been watching uh, the girls fall out in OKC. It's been fun. You were out there last week. So I guess just, uh, and that was part of the professional team that you play for. So, so kind of walk us through what that experience was like to, to go there as a spectator yet knowing that you were such a key part of the program the last time that they were out in Oklahoma city. Yeah. So our uh, professional team, the USA pride, we had a series versus USA out um, in Stillwater and actually got to play on the um, hall of fame stadium for game. But um, me, JB and Alex all played together um, on the pride and just being able to experience um, the World Series from, you know, as a fan instead of a player is just oh, totally different emotions. But at the same time, just have been there and have played on that field, like knowing what the girls are going through and the emotions they are feeling. It's just been so surreal to be able to watch them and to just 
watch how well they're playing together. And um, I remember when we walked out onto the into the stadium because they have a new deck on top. You know, I just got so emotional just how much this game is growing. And um, just for those, you know, freshmen and sophomores that haven't been there um, to experience what we've experienced is just so cool. Jess, as a former letter winner, as a student athlete, a belated thank you for all that you did during your time at Florida State. It was an absolute joy uh, to watch you and your teammates play. Um, and my first thank thought you. is, my first thought is, did you have an opportunity to, to visit with the team or speak to the team? How did Lonnie uh, use you, quote unquote? And what has been your interaction with the squad? Yeah, so um, obviously I've been texting the girls and, um, you know, texting back and forth with some of my former teammates and even some of the younger girls that I um, I know and have gotten the chance to meet but not play with. And, uh, well, I think the second day there we had um, hitting, our pride team had hitting at a facility and Florida State was hitting right after us. So we got the opportunity to join them for their gate before practice and kind of give them um, – some word of advice from people and players who have been there and have experienced what they're experiencing now. Um, and it's, it was, it was so cool that coach had allowed us to be a part, a little part of their little journey here in OKC and just to give them, you know, the knowledge that we had from our experiences and try to, you know, instill that in them was, was really heart, you know, felt for us to be able to be a part of that. Now I would, I would think I, I want you to, to answer this, Jesse. So, you've been in plenty of pressure situations, but how much different is it when you're in the batter's box and you can control, okay, I'm going to swing or not swing at this pitch compared to when you're sitting in the stands pulling for Danny Morgan and you need the big hit, but you really, it's out of your hands. To me, it feels kind of like a parent. What, what is that part of the experience like for you? Yeah, it's a uh, very nerve wracking, just not being able to be there. And like you said, do it yourself. Um, but it's just crazy story. In 2018, um, when we went to the World Series, unfortunately, my coach um, that coached me growing up passed away of cancer in 17. And um, just using the conversations that we had um, weeks before his passing, taking me into season, um, the pitch before Elizabeth Mason um, hit her home run versus UCLA, I said a prayer and I said the exact same prayer before Danny hit hers. So I got super emotional after she hit that ball. Everybody in the stands was super emotional, but um, I think just, just being on the opposite side and being able to see that team right now playing um, for each other and not for themselves is so cool as an alumni, just to know that the culture and the way that we left the team is better than we found it. And the way that they're going to leave this team is better than what they found it. So just the culture growing and, you know, the Florida state program growing day by day is just so cool to watch not being on the team. Um, but as an alumni being a spectator, um, behind the fence. Jess, I think that's a really, really good point because, uh, even the ESPN announcers have talked about the fact that statistically this squad is not as good as your, your squad, your senior year squad, but yet they've gotten hot at the right time and they are certainly playing as a team, not as a bunch of individuals. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that just comes from, you know, FSAC, you know, family, being a family and loving each other and um, just trusting what the work that they put in throughout the year, knowing that it's not how you start, but how you finish. And um, Lizzie Mason had a really, really good quote 
um, at when she was getting interviewed. Um, and she said, you know, if you're not ready to risk it all, you're not ready, like you don't deserve to win. So, um, you know, they're putting the risk, they're running the bases aggressively. They're doing everything that they can to put pressure on these teams and it's working. So I think, you know, they know their identity now. They know who they are. They're not a home run hitting team. They're not going to hit the long ball every single at bat. Um, maybe like 18, we had all a lot of the power, um, but they're very scrappy and they're going to scratch and claw and they're going to do everything that they can and use all the tools that they have to get out a win. And they're, they're coming together as a squad um, at the right time. They're having timely hits. Their defense is on point and they're just very versatile. Like last night, being able to um, put Kaylee Harding from the outfield to third, Devin at second, and then Sid going or Devin at short and then Sid going to second when Josie got hurt, like just being able to play selfless and play for each other, like I've been saying, is something that they've done very, very well. And it's so cool, like I said, to see and to watch. How much of that is attributable to Coach Lonnie Alameda? And I know you've played this sport your whole life, so you've played for a lot of coaches and a lot of pretty good ones, I would assume. And Keith and I have been around a lot of different sports and a lot of different coaches. I don't know that either either of us, and this was true when you played and it's true watching this year's team, I don't know that we've ever seen a team that's as selfless and has as much fun as what FSU softball does. So it, I would assume it starts at the top. I'll let you elaborate just on that culture. Yeah, um, Coach is phenomenal. Um, she literally changed my life. She is a person that makes change happen. And I think going into Florida State, um, she literally helps you as a person off the field that makes you a better player on the field and um, before practices and she loves to just have fun with it and she tries to you know keep the game fun and it's not always about softball um, I remember just days throughout my years at Florida State where we wouldn't even have a practice we would go to the volleyball court and play volleyball or we play football or something so um, she tries to you know keep the girls loose and keep the girls um, just having fun with the game and not making it bigger than what it is and slowing the game down for us a lot so um, she is a obviously a huge part of everyone's success um, at the highest level playing even on pride now like we are still having success and I'm still using things that coach taught me in college at this level that I'm playing at and I'm sure these girls when they leave college and go to the to real life to the world they're going to use everything that coach taught her uh, taught them um, in real life and, and Jess I think everybody sees that particularly on the stage that that they're on now but I think another thing about Coach Alameda that uh, gets overlooked a little bit is her technical expertise. You know, uh, the girls were talking uh, this year, and I know you can talk during your time there, uh, your, your hitting meetings, your pitching meetings, the, the technical side of how to prepare, she is very strong yeah. at as well. Yes. Um, they, the whole coaching staff, you know, we have a, a great staff at Florida State that um, cuts up clips and film for us and um, scouting before games. Even it, it goes as far as before the opponent we even play weeks before. Um, they'll, I, like at practices, they'll set the machine up for a certain pitcher that we're going to face that week. Um, and then going into the weekend, we're so successful because we have so much film from those people that clip it up and just the knowledge from T-Cam and T-Will that they're passing to the hitters, um, sticking to plans, having plans when you go up to the plate. And then the pitching side of it with coaches, she just does a great job um, attacking hitters, 
um, based on, you know, their stats and what they do throughout the season and um, seeing spray charts and things like that. So uh, just going so far into that type of um, softball and playing, like you said, with that technicality and um, attacking hitters certain ways and coach it does a really good job pitch call. I'll tell you what we'll do, Jesse. We're gonna we'll go to break, and if you can join us, we'll wait for this to clean up, and we'll continue this conversation. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Been en route driving while we're talking and uh, hit a bad cell signal. We all know what that's like. So, Jesse, as we wrap up, I I'd started to ask you a question about what they have to do to close it out because candidly when you look at these OU averages everybody on the team has numbers akin to what you had your last year at FSU and it's it can be frightening or intimidating if you're looking at those numbers so how does FSU close this thing out tonight I think they just have to continue playing like they've been playing loose and just Florida State softball you know playing to the for the girls to their left and their right and not trying to you know feed into these OU girls averages and stats and things like that um, at the end of the day they're playing themselves they're not playing Oklahoma so um, just continuing to play Florida State softball and playing how they've been playing these last five games and I think they're going to be good and are you going to be okay if uh, the leadoff hitter for Florida State decides to just go ahead and break your record for most hits in a college world series I mean she's tied with you right now right <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I've been, I've been texting Mudge and I'm like, you better go beat it. Like you have 12, you need two more to beat it. Like go beat it, do it. Um, and I've been tweeting at her and all this stuff. So I'm super excited for her. Um, and, and that's the thing, you know, I, I love setting these records and I love when people have these records and then other people come in and, and break these records. Cause that just means the sports growing and sports getting better. So, um, I encourage so many people to just break every single record that I have. And if they can do that, that would be so cool for, you know, themselves and just, to set standards for more people to come. Jess, you referenced it a couple of times, but update our listeners on what you're doing now and what your plans going forward are. Yeah, so I'm playing for the SSSA Pride. Um, it's a professional, we're an independent professional team. And then I also play for Athletes Unlimited, which is um, we're going into year two uh, coming up in August. And then I coach a high school team in Tampa, Florida, Berkeley Prep. Um, and then a lot more stuff coming, coming soon that I can't mention yet, but. Um, got a lot to look forward to in the upcoming years so I know this will be the one million and first time that you've been asked about the catch from three years ago but as we wrap up Jesse <laughs> I mean uh, it, that that play I mean honestly and you you know Florida State I, I mean Keith you and I could have a conversation about it but on the football side the punt ruski is a play that lives forever and the catch by you is a play that's going to live forever across for, for all Florida State fans beyond just softball. So my question is, do you, do you have a four foot by six foot poster of that in your office or somewhere? I mean, do you have that thing memorialized? <laughs> you, want, you want to know something funny? Nobody got a picture of it. It was just the video that they have from the feed, from the ESPN feed. Um, but there was no pictures of, of that play or whatever, or at least I haven't seen it. So 
Um, if anybody has a picture and wants to send it, feel free to send it to me. I'd love to see a cool picture of that. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was such a cool moment, but I don't have it hanging up anywhere. Um, but I think uh, just just being able to use that to show people who I was and people thought that was the first time I made that play and it wasn't. I literally made that same play when we played LSU and Supers the week before, but just being able to catch it on the highest stage and and using that to grow my brand and, um, you know, help me, you know, put out, um, things that people may not know about me was pretty cool. So, um, that play will forever be something that I hold dear to my heart. Well, Jess, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the, the catch was remarkable, but the alert throwing out the base runner trying to get back to first for any of us that have done anything at the collegiate level athletically, that's what made the play for me. Anybody can make a catch. Come on now. But didn't they make that next play? That was phenomenal. Yeah. You know, Coach, Coach does a good job of, you know, reminding us next play. It's, you know, you, you have a play in front of you, but you always want to think one or two plays ahead. So um, when, when I saw the ball in the air, I knew I was going to try for it. But the next thing that went to my head was, is that runner – stealing is that runner off far enough so just the composure and the ability to stay present and know that um Taryn Atley had you know stolen from the dugout because I hadn't have known that if the dugout wasn't screaming going um so just knowing that the dugout was screaming going the runner was stealing it was a button run just my ability to be able to you know get that information from the dugout so that really goes to my teammates that were in the dugout at the time you know, alerting me that she was running and I was able to get up in time and throw it, throw it to first base. And I think most of us have recognized this, but when you watch the replay, Sid Cheryl, who was the second baseman that year and was covering first, she, she recorded the out and then she jumped up and down. She was so giddy and incredulous, which is how every FSU fan felt watching that. Like, did that really just happen? That was the same reaction she had and she's in the middle of the game. It's an all-time great Florida State moment. And Jess, uh, Jesse, you're an all-time a uh, great Florida State student athlete. So, so thank you for a few minutes of your time. Uh, enjoy tonight, and uh, I'll, I'll see you on Twitter, and we'll be celebrating a win. But uh, congratulations on your success and continued success to you. Yes, thank you for having me. You bet, Jesse Warren, one of the best in Florida State history. Keith, uh, it's been fun. It's been appointment viewing, must see TV here for the last uh, last several days, just as it was when Jesse played a few years ago. Without question, and you know, there was a time. Um, when, when you, you know, as a fan, particularly when they dropped the first one again, I was not aware. I had forgotten. I had to be reminded that they had lost the first game in 18. Uh, so when they dropped that first one, you know, you're going, oh, geez, it's great that they got there. But, man, this is going to be an upward battle. Well, now what have, I think they've won more elimination games than anyone else who's ever played in the College World Series, at least consecutively. So, yeah, I'm excited about tonight. Uh, I don't want to have to watch tomorrow. I want it to be done tonight. I want it to be done right. And I have every reason to believe it will be. Jesse mentioned a couple of times, Keith, and we, we can only ask so many questions. We didn't go down this road, but you talked about how much the game has grown and, and softball is returning to the Olympics this year, by the way, assuming the Olympics take place. Uh, although Jesse's not on the Olympic team, but I can think back Keith and you and I called some games. I can think back to the old, softball field location prior to where it is now when coach Graf was coaching and she was a legend in her own right but fast pitch really had not made its way through the youth leagues and the high schools on the east coast and so FSU had become dominant 
and they would have some California players, but when they played the West Coast schools, they just weren't at the same level yet because the sport was not so popular. And, and really what you had is you had a lot of one nothing games where you had slap hitters and bunts and whoever got to one first was going to win the game. And I know because I called some of those. And when you look at it 10, 15, 20 years later to see how much it's advanced, I, I'm not going to lie. It's a more enjoyable game than watching college baseball right now. Now that's we're juxtaposing a Florida state baseball team that struck out too much this year with a softball team that might win another world series championship, but it's fun, entertaining, quick paced. It's a good sport to watch. And I think the networks ESPN in particular have picked up on that because these games are not on you or two. These are on uh, the mothership. And uh, as you mentioned, the, the ratings continue to grow. Uh, I've been impressed. I'm not a big um, you know, proponent that, you know, women should only broadcast women's games and men should only broadcast men's games from a television standpoint, though Espen has, has chosen to do that. And that's fine. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, the commentators, but it's also a, a, a testimony to the ones that have come behind them, uh, you know, that, that were playing and now have gotten into broadcasting just like has been happening for years and decades on football and baseball. So uh, the whole sport is continuing its development, very much so. This continues the amazing run for Florida State Athletics, particularly on the women's side. And I'm not going to have all the numbers right, but women's golf, I think, finished 10th. Women's tennis made the quarterfinals, so that's top eight. Soccer, of course, finished as national runner-up. Women's track this weekend at the outdoor championships. If things go... Now, they'd probably have to go. They'd have to get everybody to score points that's projected to, but I think they could finish in the top 10. And if I left somebody – oh, beach volleyball finished in the top five nationally. It's just been an incredible spring. It has. And, again, it speaks to – and there there is a continuing contingent that thinks that, you know, football is the only sport that should be played, maybe baseball and men's basketball. But it continues to speak to the um, – uh, quest of excellence uh, in all of Florida State's fielded teams uh, and in the athletic department, particularly the student athletes, as well as the coaches are to be commended for that. The men's track team, by the way, also will be at the outdoors this weekend. I think they've got a chance to finish in the top five if, if they do, uh, if they live up to what they're capable of doing. Keith, next week, you and I are both going to take some well-deserved rest. So we will have a best of show which we use that term very loosely, but anyway, well, we'll, we'll, <laughs> well it's we'll our best. It. It's our best. <laughs> it, it's true. It's our best. We'll, we'll let you, the listener judge how that stacks up against the best. So it's, exactly. a best of, it's a best of us show. We'll put that together and then we'll be back again in a couple of weeks, but uh, enjoy the, uh, enjoy the must see TV tonight, Keith. It'll be fun. Same to you. Same to you. All right. He is Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks to Jesse Warren. Thanks to Pat Burnham. And thanks to you, the listener for tuning in each and every week. We will uh, enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk to you again uh, soon here on Front Row Knowles.